How can a game overcome the language barrier? My name's Jonathan, and this is The Snakes Cast, the podcast for people who don't know as much about board games as they'd like to know. This week, the guru's voodoo goes to work on ways to play together with groups of people who don't have a language in common with you. Welcome back to The Snakes Cast, everyone. I'm joined this week by Chris Matheson. Hello. So let's see. Language barrier. Have you ever had experiences where you've had a table of people at Snakes and you've had to help recommend games and teach games where somebody didn't have a language in common with everybody else there? Uh, quite a few times, actually. It's a, regular, it's a regular occurrence. We get people from all over, tourists or locals. That It's a very multicultural city here. It is. It is a very multi- multicultural city. How about uh, in, your, uh, in your personal life with your family or anything? Is there any gatherings or friends ever have that sort of situation pop up? No. All, all, all my family and friends are native English speakers, so it's never been an issue. It's easy to take these things for granted. You know, and when all your friends share a common language, you, we, we don't think about these things at all. No. And then when the situation comes up, you have to recommend something for a group and suddenly... Oh my goodness, there's all these huge swaths of categories, all these different types of games that you just can't use. So um, how do you deal with this, generally speaking, when you've got a group like that? You have to find something, common ground for them to, to, to meet at. Hmm. Um, a lot of games in the cafe do rely on languages, but many games don't. A lot of dexterity games or speed games don't. And even some of the heavy Euro games don't. It's true. A lot of the heaviest, most challenging, most gamer-ish sort of games don't depend on verbal language. Mm -hmm. I mean, the players make choices, they interact with each other, but they do this through the components of the game rather than through language. Exactly. In a lot of cases. Uh, In the case of a a cooperative game, that can be more difficult because you have to communicate with your teammates and uh, make sure they know what your situation is so you can help each other and support each other. And, of course, you can forget a negotiation game. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I don't think you're going to be able to play Diplomacy with, uh, or Lifeboats. Don't, I don't think so, no. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't have a common language. Although, there, there are some that manage to get around this, like something like Hanabi, for example, avoids the language barrier quite neatly. Hanabi is actually an excellent example. All you need to know are the numbers one through five and five different colors. Other than that, there's really no explanation that you need to give anyone else. Let's, uh, we'll actually come back to that a little bit later about, um, about the idea of bringing in games where you do talk to the other players but using a limited vocabulary. But uh, before we go there, let's, let's talk about that first category, the, going with the idea of strategy games as a way of dealing with this. So let's start with some of the easy stuff. The, forgetting the language barrier for now, what are some of your favorite games to bring out and teach to groups of any kind? Well, depending on the group, it's there's so many different options. Sure. Well, what are some of your go-to games, though? The ones that come out most often. My go-to games, uh, if it's a large group of people, I will bring out the Resistance or Coup often. Easy to teach and very accessible. Sometimes I'll bring out Jungle Speed, Ghost Blitz, Spot It, if they're looking for something fast-paced and there's you know not too many. What if they're looking for like a more of a strategy game type of thing? Strategy game, there's so many options. It's true, that section is massive. So, so many options. If they're looking for strategy, I might start them off Pandemic, maybe a cooperative strategy game, Pandemic, uh, Forbidden Desert. If they're looking for something a little bit more complicated. It's, it's, it's such a huge question. It's, it's true, a huge but, question. But there's so many though, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot like this, Chris, to sort of get us get a sense of what exactly gets curtailed here, because yeah. a whole bunch of those games that you and I both sort of take for granted mm-hmm. as the ones that are sort of go-to games... Pandemic, no way. Forbidden Desert, not going to happen. Coup, forget about it. 
uh, resistance, not a chance. The uh, the dexterity games that you mentioned will still work though. Mm-hmm, but uh, let, let's take a look at some other games in that strategy ish sort of area because uh, and, and as, as we're saying, a lot of these uh, these strategy games, the re- the interaction is with is is through the components in the game itself. A negotiation game like Settlers of Catan probably isn't going to work, but something more like oh, I don't know a lot of European style games like Splendor. You know, Splendor's yep. been a huge yep. hit. Just, uh, it's, you, know, you don't have to really speak at all there. Again, your communication is through, oh, I think I'll take this card that I know that you need, and you can't have it. And that that's, that's sort of goes beyond words. It does, it does. You'll also see it in a lot of card games, something like Botswana or No Thanks or Six Nymph. These, what these games have in common is that they're rules-based games rather than exceptions-based games. Is that is that a distinction that means something to you, or am I getting too far into esoterica here? It might require some clarification. Okay, let's for, for the benefit of Chris and for our audience at home, uh, a rules-based game is a game that well, where the rules are the game itself. There's usually those rules tend to be uh, either very simple in the case of something like an abstract game, like uh, chess or checkers, connect four, this kind of thing, or they tend to be quite involved in the case of something like a, a complex military simulation. But uh, the the complexity appears in the rules. In an exceptions-based game, what you'll have is a relatively simple set of rules, but you'll have a whole bunch of components in this game which can affect, which which inter- inter- interact with those rules in different ways. The the big example of this is something like Cosmic Encounter, which we put the game spotlight on a while back, or Magic: The Gathering, where the rules are quite simple, but each card, each player, each thing that comes into the game has a bunch of text on it that tells you what it does that's special, that's unique, and it's the way these things bounce off each other that creates the interest. And when the language barrier is up, these games are unplayable. Yeah. So you need rules-based games. And, uh, and generally speaking, European-style games tend to be bigger on that than the more American-style stuff. Although that doesn't always work either. You've, you're a fan of uh, Cyclades and Kemet, right? I've never played Cyclades, but I've played Kemet many times. So how do you find the symbols on those cards, those hieroglyphics? Are they, are they readable for an English speaker? or? Yes, Usually, but you still have to learn. You have to learn what the symbols are first. Mm. Once you know what they are, you can glance at them and you know immediately what that says. But I guess the um, first time you have to reference things. It's true. It, it means that the teach time is going to be longer. Yes, when you're first bringing the game, because yes. you have to, as you say, you have to. Okay, this symbol means this. That symbol means that. As long as one person can read the English rules and also has a common language in person with with the with the other player, they can sort of bring them up to speed. But uh, hieroglyphics can also make things kind of difficult. You get something like Race for the Galaxy with its famous... Are you a Race for the Galaxy fan? I'm actually a huge Race fan. It's one of my all-time favorite games. Are you going to try to convince me that those symbols are actually sensible and easy to read? Is that going to happen here? Um, Yeah, maybe, maybe. (laughs) How long did it take you to get to the point where you could master that? Probably, realistically, before I had to reference nothing, 10 games. That's a lot of games to have to go through with somebody who isn't is. able to actually read the reference. To it is. With. It is. So I think that's that's we're probably going to have to leave that one out. But again, uh, abstract games, games like uh, you know Yinch, the GIF series is great for this. They are. Uh, they're all Don. excellent. What are some others that you might bring out from there? Well, abstract games in general are excellent. Um, in the whole category. Yeah, pre- almost everything in that category is great. One of my absolute favorite uh, two-player abstracts, Kulami. Uh, has mm. a very, very, very simple uh, rule system. It's a classic abstract with no text, no nothing. Just I up. find that Kalami's even <clears throat> easy to teach visually. It is. It's very easy. Even if somebody doesn't understand a word you're saying, they can still get an idea as you mime you know, placing a, placing a marble in the same row or the same column as you're moving your fingers along the row and fingers along the column for where you can go. 
I think that's actually one of my favorite aspects of Kulami is the simplicity of the rules, but there's still a very, uh, very deep uh, strategy to the game. The visual nature of the game too. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it, not only is it easy to explain visually and grasp visually, but it just looks so pretty with those wooden blocks. It does look gorgeous. Pure black and red marbles. It's a really nice piece and a very easy way for a group of two to get through that language barrier. Okay, now for the real challenge. They're looking for a party game. There's a big group, like you know, six or seven players. They want something that they can they can all play. They can learn easily. That has all the advantages and lightness and fun of a party game, but where language isn't going to be a problem. That's a tough time. It's a very tough time. Because <laughs> what do you do in party games, right? You know, there's 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 basically two kinds of party games. You've got your who did what games. Right. We, we actually did an episode about who did what games a while back. Stuff like, you know, Balderdash or... Um, yeah. It's okay. Drawing a blank here. Sure. So, you know, anything we have to try to write down who did what, who said what, you know, trying to guess these things. Uh, and, and, and some of them are, are really, really great things like Dixit and so on. If you have to explain your clue in multiple languages, then that can right there create a serious barrier. Mm-hmm. Especially if there are players who don't have a single language in common. The other one is guess the word games. You know, your, your taboos, your charades. Catchphrase. Yep. I have, I have a word. You have to guess it. If we don't share a language in common, then it's... Almost impossible. Pretty much. Uh, there's also trivia games, which you have to read in that language. Yes. And the very, answers are in very that difficult. language. I, I've also found that trivia games are often very cultural-specific. Um, it's true. It's not just language. It's culture. It, yes. Yes. So, yeah. What are we going to do? Well, I guess we can go over some sort of party-ish games. That uh, they're technically in the party game section, but they don't hit this is the standard sort of mold stuff like Ink and Gold, where it's just a press your luck game. Everybody has to decide: do we want to stay, try to get more treasure, or we're going to go further? And uh... great game too. <laughs> and and it's again, it's it's all I have to know is this card means stay, this this card means leave, and they can play. Cash and Guns is another excellent. Oh one. yeah, great, great. There's no there's no text. You're you're. It's a heist. Everybody understands to, a gun being pointed at them. You're head. trying to split the loot, <laughs> and everyone's pointing guns at each other. You have to decide whether you're going to back down and not get any loot, or if you're going to stay in and risk getting shot. There's, It's an excellent game. So visceral, so easy to get into. Yeah. I guess uh, if you want something, uh, another thematic sort of thing, Formula D. Yeah. That, way, that car racing game. Yeah, simple, relatively simple rules for an uh, interesting game, car racing. But uh, if they want something that's more like a traditional party game, though, it's... It's quite a bit harder. Something I guess you, you mentioned a bunch of speed and reflex games earlier on. Spot it, Ghost Blitz, Jungle Speed. Those, yeah. those are perfect because they're just strictly visual, mm-hmm. and uh, you just get a few rules explained, and then you're good. There's also, I guess, uh, other dexterity games. Uh, Riff Raff, Villa Paletti, Pitch Car. Oh, Pitch Car! I wish we had a big size copy of Pitch Car for the cafe. I would love one. <laughs> now, now that we've got the new larger tables, it might not actually be a bad idea to see what see if one will fit in there. Yeah, with- yeah, you know, you're flicking your little car along this racetrack, trying to get that. Everybody understands that. You know, you see it, you just get it. Easy games. But um, in some ways, I think the most intriguing way to approach this is to go with something where you do talk to the other players, but where there's a limited vocabulary. Mm-hmm. So that way, players who don't have a common language will still be talking to each other. Yes. They'll still be communicating with each other. They can still reach out and make contact through play, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but in a way that's not uh, unmanageable. So you mentioned... Uh, I mentioned Hanabi earlier, exactly. which is a perfect example of that. It's 
it, you need to communicate to the other players, but you only need to communicate in one or two words at a time. Mm. Pit is another excellent, <laughs> excellent example of I that. That's Pit. actually playable with, I think, six players. Actually, it goes up to eight. Eight players. Depending on which edition. So it's really, really loud when you play with eight players. You know, throwing those cards around, yelling at one, one, two. Yeah. So Pit, you only need to know how to say one, two, three, <laughs> four, and corner That's when, you, it. when you've cornered the market. And, and, and yet those words, the desperation yes. of saying it, it's, it's one thing to be saying two, two, it's another thing to be saying two, two, two. Screaming at each other. <laughs> it, it, it communicates something, you know? It, yeah. it really means something that, uh, that you're actually, you're, you're making contact verbally, but without needing a big vocabulary. And that's, yep. and something else too, we mentioned, uh, uh, you brought up cultural connections mm-hmm. and reaching across a cultural divide through pit can be a huge thing too. I had a friend named Nicole. She was an ESL teacher. Mm. And she told me about how when she had Japanese students, it was always very difficult to get them to raise their voices, which is particularly difficult because North Americans, we're loud. We are. You know, culturally speaking, we are a loud people. So she got them to play pit. Amazing. And this sort of got them not only into, you know, it's like they've got plenty of practice with their numbers, but also to speak up. Yes. So it, it crosses the divide. You, more than you need to way. be heard in pit to win that game. And, uh, of course, I would love in a case like that to bring out Cockroach Poker. Uh, Cockroach Poker. Cafe classic, cafe favorite. I think everyone knows it. Everyone loves it. (laughs) Classic bluffing game that, again, requires very, very little vocabulary. You've got – and and, and it's easy enough, too, because even if you forget one of the – the the words you have to know to to play Cockroach Poker are cockroach, stink bug, bat, rat, fly, toad – scorpion and spider and if you know those words then you can play now obviously you're not going to be able to memorize them all at first but the backs of the cards have the symbol on so, so you can all eight symbols on them exactly so you just sort of point to the back and, and then you can say the word but you do have to look the person in the eyes and you do have to say the word so again it's the uh it's it's the deeper communication yes the ones up happening there that, that crosses that language barrier has people talking to each other trying to figure out who's lying who's telling the truth Cockroach Poker is just such a great game in so many different ways. It's so simple. It plays up to six players. It's a great choice for this. So it is. that's one that, uh, that you need some serious guru voodoo to crack the language beer. That is one that we can heartily recommend. For sure. All right. That wraps up for this week. If you've got an unusual group of players with a mix of different tastes and you'd like to see the gurus do some recommendation voodoo, focus on our Facebook page or tweet it to us at SnakesCast. Always up for a challenge. We'd love to hear from you. Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. <laughs> the Snakes Cast is produced by P.T. Douglas. Music is provided by Ben Sound. Opinions expressed on the show belong to the people in it and not the company behind it. See you next week, folks. Game on. Game on.